And uh, I've got two readings. The first reading is uh, a very familiar passage, a very blessed passage, which I've preached on at least 150 times. But I must tell you again that verse in Matthew 11:25 and 26 has been such a blessing to me, where it says, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, for such was pleasing in your sight. And as a result of that verse, I have gone to the scriptures that I've preached on many times and asked the Lord for something fresh to share. And I believe I've got something fresh that has been a real blessing to me to pass on to you this evening. So the first reading is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, uh, verses 11 to 24. Then there's a second reading. And this reading is a reading that gives me great distress. It's found in uh, 1 Kings chapter 13 and verses from that. So there we've got two readings this evening. So let's do the first one, which you know so well. Uh, Luke 15, 11 to 24. You see, you buy new glasses, but they don't work. Okay. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this estate. So he divided his, his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and yet I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So when the young man said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that's due to me, he was in fact saying, you are no longer my father, and I am no longer your son. And he had cut himself off. And you won't ask the question, why in fact did he do that? Well, he wanted to go his own way. He didn't want somebody to advise him, tell him what to do. He didn't want somebody to uh, uh, provide for him. He wanted to be his own boss and go his own way. And, and then the Bible says, he went to a far country. And you say, but why that? He wanted to get as far away as possible to do his own thing. Because we all like to be in charge, whatever we do. 
And so he went far away. And, um, and then, of course, the, he, he lost everything. And he was starving to death. And then he remembered that back home his father had hired servants who had food and to spare. And thought he, so he thought, how can I get a full stomach again? He wasn't thinking in terms of a relationship. He wasn't thinking in terms of uh, being back, with, back home. His only thought there was, hey, if I become a hired servant, I can eat as much as I like. Because my father has food and to spare. He liked the idea of food, as a lot of people do. You know, especially when you're starving. So, he said, I know what I'll do. This is what I'll say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and your, in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. In other words, he'd, he was still wanted to be the boss. He thought, if I can work this out and say, okay, listen, uh, and notice how the emphasis is, I have sinned against. I am no longer. Make me. He still wanted to be in control. And be, work as a servant. And have lots of that food that his father dishes out to everybody. So he went back with a plan of his own on how to put right. Not with his father. He couldn't really put that right. But at least he could get a full stomach at the end of every day. And then he started going back home. And his father saw him a long way away. And he started running. The father did. And this is my one point that I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again until you're tired of it. When he got to that son, he was the first to get there. Because nobody else runs in the Middle East. Everybody walks very slowly down the road. Let me tell you, even young men, to run, to walk quickly, is to lose your self-respect and your dignity. So the father got to his son first before anybody else. And when he got to him, it was a one-on-one -on -one meeting. A one-on-one -on -one meeting. Maybe the others caught up eventually because he spoke to the servants. But it was a one-on-one -on -one meeting between the father and this young man. Uh, God deals with us in exactly the same way. He deals with you as if you are the only person in this hall this evening. It is a one-on-one -on -one with you. He doesn't think about everybody else around you. No, it's a one-on-one -on -one dealing with you. As this father dealt with his son, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, Jesus dealt with Peter. He said, when you were old, sorry, when you were young, you girded yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you are 
old, another one will gird you and guide you where you do not wish to go. Peter then said to Jesus, What about him? That is John. And Jesus said to him, If I want him to remain alive until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, with Peter, it was a one-on-one, -on -one, as though nobody else was there. And, Peter, and Jesus said to Peter, what I deal, how I deal with John is my business, not your business. Don't meddle. This is what I've told you, what's going to happen with you. It's a one-on-one -on -one with Peter. It would be a one-on-one -on -one with John. So every person is a case of one-on-one. -on -one. God deals with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And the, obviously the reverse is this. You must learn to deal with God and not with man. Uh, and now let's look at the other reading, which is a distressing reading. It's uh, 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 7 to 10 and 15 to 22. And if this, verse, if this chapter doesn't distress you, well, you come and explain to me how you understand it. No, sorry, let's read from chapter uh, 13, verse 1. By the word of the Lord, first Kings this is, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. He cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. O oh, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who now make offerings here and human bonds will be burned on you. That same day the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him! But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Indeed, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord. And the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, Come home with me and have something to eat and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you. Nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road, and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel, whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that, there that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. And then let's read on, uh, so we don't have all that to read. Um, 
Then he, this, this guy meets up with the prophet. So the prophet said to him, Come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I've been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah, This is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore your body will not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. And then if you look in verse 27 or so, uh, uh, when he returned home, a lion met him on his way and he was killed. Now if that passage doesn't distress you, it distresses me. And I've often asked the question, why on earth do we read that in the Bible? Why does a prophet go out of his way to bring about the downfall of another prophet? But remember, God deals with each one of us on a one-on-one -on -one basis. We are not to explain or defend ourselves when God deals with us in that way. This man was given a specific instruction. Do not eat bread or drink water. Go and do not return the way you came. That was for his own ears only. Not for the ears of anybody else. He need not have said that to the king. Because the king wouldn't have understood it. It was for him and him alone. But because he went and blurted it all out, this other guy took it up and misled him. And But what happened? That prophet had got it directly from God. Here was another man who said, this is what the Lord has said to me. But he shouldn't have listened to him. Because God had told this man one-on-one -on -one what not to do. And he did it. And he lost his life. Again, to me, the lesson is this. If God tells you to do something, you don't have to defend it. You don't have to explain it. God doesn't have to give an explanation. He tells you what to do, and you do it. And uh, the same with us. We've all got sins. We've all got patterns of behavior that have got to be dealt with by God. We've all got issues. We've all got problems. And so God deals with each one of us on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Which is known only to God and to you. And so God gives you insight. He gives you a word. gives you a message. But it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, as I remember, remember what Ross came and preached here at Medway quite a few years ago. One of you remember what he spoke on. He spoke on 
Isaiah 55. My ways are not your ways. Neither your thoughts my thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God has got strange ways of getting through to us. But it's a one-on-one -on -one basis. Um, Martha and Mary in the home. Jesus dealt with Mary. And Martha was distracted with much serving. And Jesus had to say to Martha, Mary has chosen the right thing. It was a one-on-one -on -one with Martha. Sorry, with Mary. Um, thinking of, of, of Mark Creston. He went to BI. God called him to study. And a lot of people thought, how can this be? This guy hasn't got the means to go and study at BI. But it was a one-on-one -on -one with Mark. And he went to BI. And got through the first year. And he wanted to go the second year. And again, there were some people who thought, how can this be done? He hasn't got the means to do it. It is a one-on-one -on -one between God and Mark only. And God has done it for his second year. And Mark is going for his third year. And I'm quite sure some people will say, see all the problems, all the difficulties, etc. None of your business. It's a one-on-one -on -one with Mark. And Mark is discovering how faithful and how good and how great God is. As he testified and he gave his testimony. Uh, I was called in 1960 to Lebanon. 1960. At a, at a little meeting in Kempton Park. We only got to the mission field in 1968. Don't know how we got there, but we got there. It took eight years. And then in 1996, again, God called us to go back. And there were people that we knew and met who said, it can't be done, we can't help you, or etc. All over the country, God got us there. It's a one-on-one -on -one matter. It's between the servant of God and his master. Then uh, this gentleman here read out about waiting. We've had to wait all our lives. We have a young uh, lady sitting behind uh, uh, Stan and Barbara. And uh, she's sitting there because we waited for her. We, are, we keep on saying, I'm so, I said to my wife recently again, I'm so glad we waited for Jeanette. We could have adopted three times before her. But God said no each time. And so we're very glad we waited. Because when you wait, God always gives you his very best. So, again, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. Think about Goliath. Nice Sunday school lesson. But Goliath, when Saul and his army saw Goliath, they saw themselves and they ran. When David turns up, he saw Goliath and he saw God. One-on-one -on -one again. And the boy, we know who got the victory there. Um, and so again and again, uh, God calls us and it's a one-on-one. -on -one. But now think of what Jesus taught. 
in this one-on-one -on -one business. When you pray, what did he say? Go into your room and shut the door. Now, if you're going to take the trouble to shut the door, you're not going to spend five minutes with God. That's our problem, isn't it? Our tendency is to go into our room, shut the door, and it's one-on-one. -on -one. Nobody else sees you. Nobody else hears you. It's between you and God alone. Except that my wife leaves her door open all the time. I don't know why, but anyway. But nevertheless, I, uh, I, shut, I go into another room and disappear. But it's a one-on-one. -on -one. And again, Jesus said, your father sees in secret and he will reward you. But it's a one-on-one. -on -one. When you fast, nobody else is to see that you are fasting. Nobody else is to know that you are fasting. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. When you give, you are to give in such a way that no one knows about it. You're not a sound of trumpet and say, look how much I've given. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. But now let's come, back, let's come back to salvation. The gate is narrow that leads to life. Why is it narrow? Only one person can fit through that gate at a time. Again, the person deals directly with God, one on one. Each person has to discover that Jesus died for them personally. It's not my, my father or my brother or my aunt or my uncle is a minister. No, that doesn't help you. It's a one on one. So salvation, you have to discover that Jesus himself has died for you. That he's taken your sins away. Um, he said to, to Matthew, follow me. But he didn't say to him what he would do for him. He said to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So each person is a different person. Each person has a different need. Each person has a different call that Jesus deals with one on one. 